Hey, Giant fans, welcome to the Giant Insider Podcast. My name is Jerry Foley. I am the senior editor of the Giant Insider newspaper. And with me, as always, is the beat writer of the Heart of Giants Nation, Chris Bizignano. And if I'm speaking a little more quickly today, it's because we have with us, uh, we have the honor of having with us someone who I'm sure most people believe, most Giants fans believe, is the greatest tight end in the history of the Giants franchise, two-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champion, one of the best to ever do it, Mark Bavaro. Mark, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mark, how you doing, my man? Uh, you know, we're digging out of the snow still here. I guess you're still you're still in Ma- you're Massachusetts, right? So I guess you got blasted even more than us. Uh, yeah, we got some snow. Uh, got some more on the way. But it's winter. What do you expect? <laughs> so, folks, listen, like like Jerry just said, you know, to me, it's a no doubter. Um, Mark is the best tight end. And we've had some good ones, but he's the best one in, in the history of the franchise. And, you know, well, Mark, let's get into it a little bit. Um, we don't know each other, but we got the same vowel at the end of our name. So, and we're both from immigrant families. And, Mark, I like to get it, talk a little bit about, you know, your mom and dad. You know, your dad, the work ethic that they had, their blue-collar work ethic. They came to this country. And you, obviously, your work ethic. Talk about the influence especially your dad had on you growing up and then, you know, going into your college career and then your professional career? Well, um, my grandfathers were both immigrants from Italy. Uh, My grandmothers were um, the daughters of immigrants from Italy. Um, So, you know, I'm not immigrants. It's, you know, you can say it's technically uh, it's true, but um, we were, I was pretty American. I grew up pretty American, you know. Um, and my mother and father uh, both grew up in an Italian neighborhood in, in Boston, in East Boston, over by the airport. Um, but, you know, they grew up in Italian households, but they didn't speak Italian. Uh, they, were, they were taught to be an American. Uh, they were taught to love this country and be proud of, of the freedoms and, and the uh, privileges that you, were, that you were afforded here. Uh, and they taught that to me. So, I mean, I grew up. Uh, you know, thinking of myself a, as an American, you know, I was, I had more in common with George, Wa- I thought with George Washington than I did with any Italian guy. But as you get older, you start to realize, you know, where your roots really come from. And, uh, but that was later on, on in life. But the one thing I did take from uh, all my family is they were hard workers because they had to be hard workers. I mean, they, they weren't, my, my grandparents weren't educated. Um, and so, my father became an educator. He became a teacher. Uh, he was very proud of that. We were very proud of him that he was a teacher. I mean, he was, to us, that was white collar job, you know, uh, when, when the rest of the people that I kind of knew about in my family growing up were, were blue collar guys, were, you know, factory workers or whatever, they were working hard. And, uh, you know, he put a tie on uh, every day back when t- teachers put ties on. Right. He put a tie on every day to go to work and teach. So, uh, I under in, in in the summer also too. You know, uh, he worked uh, two or three jobs in the summer right. uh, when he was off on summer break. So, I was constantly seeing you know the work ethic between him and and the rest of my family, and it came easy, um, you know, for me in football uh, when I got to a certain level. I wasn't always the the hardest working kid around. 
but when it became uh, apparent that I, I, might have, I might have a future in the sport, I really got serious about my workouts, about, uh, you know, the way I ate, you know, my lifestyle, everything. And uh, I took it pretty serious to the point where we got, when I got to the Giants uh, in the professional ranks, um, you know, I was, I was so focused, you know, singularly focused on football. Uh, and it worked out well for me because in a town uh, like New York, uh, you know, where there's a lot of distractions, uh, I had kind of put all that stuff behind me by that time. Uh, I had gotten a lot of that stuff out of my system, and I had had some problems earlier on. Um, but by the time I got to the Giants, I mean, I was peaking in my athleticism as well as my maturity level. So it worked out uh, pretty good for me in New York. Mark, what, what age about? Was it high school that you said, okay, I could do this in the future. I could play this sport. What what? Was it junior high school, senior high school? Was it Notre Dame? What did you say, all right, this is what I'm going to do? You know, I mean, after I just said all that, you know, there really was never one point in time where I said, uh, I think I have what it takes. It was, it was always um, moving on from one level to the next, you know, with, at those, little, those junctures in time, like from – from um, Pop Warner to high school, you know, from high school to college, and then obviously from college to pros. Uh, when that, when it came, when we came to those crossroads in in my in the football life, uh, I would see, you know, the vast majority of my teammates and peers would fall by the wayside. Uh, but I was always able to cross that barrier. I was always able to go to the next level. Uh, and at every level, one, once I did that, that's when it would it would hit me that wow, okay, I I'm good enough to be here at this right. point in time. But uh, I never had that thought that I was going to go a, a couple more levels. You know, it all I always had to get to that next level, and I would never know that I was good enough for the next level until I was allowed to to cross that barrier and be accepted into the next level. Mark, I, I should start off by saying the fact that you played at Notre Dame and then went to the Giants, I mean, look, you're basically canonized the saint in Chris's eyes because he's a big Notre Dame fan. And you know, <laughs> my late father would have loved this because he was a huge Notre Dame fan and a Giants fan. So um, I just want to kind of get that out there before I ask my first question, Mark. Um, in 85, you're drafted 100th overall, round four. The Giants just had a guy in Zeke Moad who was coming off a really good uh, year in 84. Were you surprised mm-hmm. that they took you? And, you know, I, I guess, did you think you were coming in as a, as a more of a blocking tight end? If you can talk about that, that'd be great. Well, you know, that was the beauty of being young and stupid. You know, I, I didn't think of those yeah. things. Right. I, I, I had no idea who the Giants were. I had no idea uh, who Zeke Moad yes. was. I had no idea who Bill Parcells was. My, um, one of my best friends at college, he was one of those types of kids who knew everything, right? So he, was, he wasn't going through the process that I was going through at the time because he was taking a fifth year in college. So he kind of walked me through the process. And when um, Bill Parcells actually called, you know, the Giants called you on draft day, um, he was 
enamored. You know, he was like, oh my God, Mark, you know, do you know who this guy is? I was like, I don't know. You know, this guy, he, my buddy's name was Jay. I was like, Jay, I don't know anything about this place. And, uh, and when we, we actually played um, Army, I think, at, at Giant Stadium, my senior year or my junior year, something like that. And I remember sitting next to my buddy Jay <clears throat> on the bus, and we were down on the old ramp um, uh, and looking up at how high the stadium was. You know, I mean, Notre Dame Stadium was, was pretty big, but nothing like Giant Stadium, not, not back then. And he, was, he said to me, he goes, Mark, he goes, this is the this is the perfect place for you. I don't know why I said it, but I just was shaking my head. Okay, he's like a prophet. Yeah, it turned out to be true. Yeah, I go. This is the pros. I mean, let's we'll get to that. You know, when we get there. You know, yeah. I, I still got to play. Uh, you know, I got to earn my my spot in college. Because I in college I didn't get to play till I was a junior. You know, so I really had no idea how good I was at that point. But turned out he was he was right. And in uh, Zeke Mawat is was a great tight end he had i think he had uh 48 catches uh my senior in, yeah, in college yeah. so he didn't make the pro bowl but he had numbers for the pro bowl and it was kind of a foregone conclusion uh that he was going to get in he I, I you know you earn your reputation first right before they vote for you and sometimes they vote for you you know um it's a little delayed so if Zeke had had just a, a decent year, I think my rookie year, he he would have gotten got into the Pro yeah, Bowl, right. virtue of his the previous year. So I had no idea, and back then, you know, you only played one tight end. It wasn't like I, I thought I was going to be, you know, part of a tight end package. And uh, uh, I really just thought when I got there that I was vying for a backup spot. You know, they had they had Tom Mulliday there. Yep. Uh, they brought in. Um, Don Hasselback, a veteran. Yeah. Uh, he had come, he came came from the Raiders. Yeah. Um, Gary Shirk right. was there, I think. And then we had a couple of um, um, free agents. Um, so you know, and it was just everyone knew that you know Zeke was the man. You know Zeke. You talk about some. You talk about a hard worker. Uh, Zeke Moa was one of the hardest working guys yeah. I ever saw. That guy would not take a play off unless the coaches made him. So getting in and trying to prove yourself was very difficult, you know? So I think it was a combo because he was a free agent himself. Uh, That's right. It was a combo of um, his, his work right. ethic was so, so great, but he also didn't want anyone else, uh, you know, having opportunities. Right. <laughs> it was a good, it's a good strategy, but you gotta, you gotta be prepared to do the work. And he was, uh, so we, we were hardly ever did we get, um, reps with the first team you know so it was a foregone conclusion we, we were just vying for a, for a backup role and i gotta be honest with you there were times when uh it looked like i was gonna win that right in the you know right in the last this is after we broke camp and i'm thinking hey, i'm gonna all right this, i'm gonna be a backup because there was only two tight ends right. who was zeke and me i said okay I'm, I'm a backup and i was like i'm not sure how i feel about that um and i i didn't know that i i wanted to wanted to do it um and i thought about you know other possibilities in life you know other professions or whatever uh but you know fate had you know had something in store for zeke it was his last preseason game against the um steelers he blew his knee out and right. uh bill parcells looked around the sidelines that night to put a tight end in 
and all he saw was me, and he did not want to put me in. You know, he looked, uh, he looked at Rob Carpenter. Wow. He was he was looking uh, at Maurice Carthen. He was looking at other guys who, who thought, you know, some guys with experience who who could maybe fill in at, at tight end. Uh, but he was ultimately forced to put me in the game, and uh, you know, that was the beginning. Mark, to stay to stay on the '85 draft, you were All American in Notre Dame, and then you go in the fourth round. Okay, were you surprised you went to the fourth round? And Mark, was there something out there as far as maybe you and your personality, whatever it might be, I'm asking you, that you made you go to the fourth round? Was it? Uh, and did you feel that when you got there, the Giants '85, that Paul Sells was the perfect fit for you? Well. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I was not your ideal uh, player uh, at that time. You know, I, I had a, I, I did not have a great reputation with uh, my college coaches. Uh, we bumped heads a lot. You know, a lot of it was my fault. You know, um, like I said, you know, I was a little unruly. Um, but um, you know, nobody went high that that year. Uh, I think I was either the second or third tight end taken in the draft. And, um, Jay Novacek, I think, was in that draft. Jonathan Hayes, I think, was in that draft. Um, and then there was another kid from Colorado, uh, Kelly something. He was a good one. Uh, but we all went in the fourth round. I don't think anybody went higher okay. than that. Maybe one of them went in the third okay. round. But So there was there were no, like, outstanding tight ends. Uh, Mark. Uh, so that I was surprised to get. I was surprised to get drafted. To be honest with you, yeah. Mark, was it? If you don't mind, was it philosophical differences with Jerry Faust back in Notre Dame, or you just guys just clash? You just didn't see eye to eye. What the hell, you know, what his vision was, or what you think should be should have been done on the field? Or was it just stupid? Uh, was it just you being young? What, what, what exactly was it, Mark? If you don't mind getting into it, I'm sure it was a combination of all those okay. things, Chris. Um, and I had some injuries too. I had a, I had a sh- had knee injury and a shoulder injury that kept me as a uh, medical on the border of a medical reject. So that that kept me tamped down in the draft as okay. well. I, I went through a few physicals and a lot of them said no way, you know. Um, but Jerry Angelo was a scout for the Giants at the time, um, and he came out. I mean, he went on to have a great career, and he came out to Notre Dame. He worked me out once and. Uh, I think, you know, honestly, I think there was a little Italian thing going on there. It, it and, can't uh, hurt, Mark. <laughs> yeah, we, we hit it off. We hit it off right away. You know, he, he talked to um, he talked to the trainers. You know, he talked to some of the, uh, you know, the equipment guys. He talked to other people besides the coaches, right. you know. And he came away with the conclusion that, you know, I was, I was a hard worker. If properly motivated, I was tough, you know, and I, cause I, I did have injuries, but I was, I, I was dealing with them and I was overcoming them and, you know, they were going to get better. Uh, and my attitude towards authority um, had a lot to do with who was in authority, you know what I mean? So when I got to the Giants with Bill Parcells, I mean, I knew right away I, I would do anything that that guy told me to do you know, if he told me to run and jump off the george washington bridge i probably would have done right. it um as opposed to some other guys other coaches in my life um 
I just, I just probably didn't really respect. I, I was just going to say that, Mark. Being a fellow Italian, yeah, being that's... a fellow Italian, respect is huge. And obviously, yeah. I'm not going to get too much of Notre Dame, but obviously there was a respect factor, when, and that's between you and Jerry, Coach Faust. And obviously, Parcells. What was it about Parcells, Mark? That guys, they stepped in a building with him, and they automatically respected him. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It's just something about him. He had an aura about him. He still does. Um, you know, and growing up the, the way I grew up with, with a lot of the men in my life back then, I mean, he just he just looked like one of those guys. Um, it wasn't these, you know, I was used to, you know, to um, the Midwestern type coaches. You know, Jerry Faust was from Cincinnati. Right. Um, not to say there's nothing wrong with Jerry. I love Jerry. He's a, he's a okay. great guy. He's a great guy. Um, but it, the, the, their, their mannerisms were different. You know, what they expected you to do was different. You know, like I came, the first thing they made me do when I got to Notre Dame was, was get a haircut <laughs> you know? um, okay. and everything was yes, sir. No, sir. And, you know, when I just wasn't that type of guy, um, and he had, he, he had been, you know, coaching in these powerhouse Catholic schools, yeah, you know, yeah. and I was, I came from a public school um, environment where there wasn't a lot of that type of formality. Um, and I was like, you know, maybe we should, you know, skip all that stuff or at least, you know, let's show some success on the football field before, you know, you, you start with the ticky tack right, thing. Right. <clears throat> which we never really did at Notre Dame. You know, my, my years, we never really established ourselves as a, as a no. legitimate contender. But to have to be subject to all the, the nicky-nack stuff, um, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So when I got to the Giants, you know, first of all, here's Parcells. He looks like the guy who, who was the leader who hung out on the street corner. You know, he had all the authority in the world. People, people I saw the respect that other people showed him, you know, so I, I fell in with that. And then the success, you right. know, it, it didn't, didn't take long for me to realize uh, that these guys were good. Right. Know? We, we would get into a game uh, and we'd be behind two touchdowns, three touchdowns, and we'd come back and win, or we'd, we'd be behind in the game with, with a minute and 30 seconds left to go. And we needed a, a touchdown to win it. And back then, my rookie year, I didn't go on. I wasn't on the two-minute right. offense, right? right? So I would go to the sideline, and I would watch, you know, guys like Tony Galbraith, yeah. you know, those guys do their thing, and which was just amazing to me how, how great, how good these guys were. Uh, and they would just – Sims would take them down the field. they score a touchdown, and, and we'd win the game. And I would st- I'd be standing there holding my helmet in my hand going <laughs> – Oh my God! I I can't believe that just right, happened right. because that never happened at Notre Dame. Right. You know, we fell behind by a field goal. The game right. was all well, yeah. I remember. <laughs> everyone was at the top, so everyone just was like, "Oh, you know, yeah. all right." And this would be like the first quarter. Everybody like, "Okay, game's yeah. over." You know, and I just that that just after four years, you know, like it wears on you. But at at the Giants, you know, almost from the get go, I was a believer. I bought into the system. And I knew that this guy Parcells was for real. And also, it didn't help to have a guy like uh, Lawrence Taylor. I was just Mark. Uh, I was just going to ask you. I guess it didn't help hurt when the best player in the league 
had that respect for Parcells. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as hard as it was to practice against a guy like that, come game day on Sunday, the respect from our opponents that that they showed me because my teammate was Lawrence Taylor wow. was something I, you know, I can't really relate to. It's, you could tell, you know, even though the defense guys had nothing to do with Lawrence Taylor. Right, right. Um, just having, just knowing, just them knowing that he was on my team made them treat me and our offense with a, a little bit more respect. And that was something I definitely wasn't used to coming from Northern. Wow, Jerry, that, Jerry Mark, that's fascinating, brother. That's fascinating. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, you know, the famous quote from Parcells, Mark, is he's a stone-faced that Bavaro. You don't know what the hell he's thinking. I'd, have to, I'd hate to have to fight that son of a gun. When did that, when did that relationship kind of, manifest itself was it in was it during training camp was it when you first started you know when you took over for moat when did you have that relation was it right off the bat with parcells that relationship well dur- during training camp my rookie year, i'm not sure when it was um somewhere in the middle you know it wasn't really the beginning somewhere in the middle but it was definitely everybody else was still around and zeke was still around um i ran a seam route um, that, you know, I ran many times afterwards. It was the first time I ever really ran one. And I ran down, Sims threw a perfect ball. Uh, it was, I think I caught it on, on the goal line. It was during the practice. And I, I, you know, I didn't think twice about it. It was just, it was, it was a great throw, right? It was, I just, I mean, seam routes aren't complicated. You just run down the field. And, uh, and you hope, you know, you, you follow the ball. Wherever the ball's thrown, you run to it. And so I did, I caught it. No big deal. So I went back to the um, the huddle, and Parcells was all excited. You know, he was like, "Wow!" He goes, "It was great catch mark. You know, great catch mark." And again, for me, that was unusual because I didn't you didn't you didn't get a lot of that pat on the back type right. stuff at Notre Dame, uh, and you didn't certainly didn't get uh, acknowledgement of doing a good job that 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 they you know. That they thought you were good, you know what I mean? That was that was the one weird thing about Notre Dame. I hate to keep going back to Notre Dame, but I don't mind. Chris doesn't care; he's fine with it. <laughs> you never got you, know, you never got the sense from the coaching staff that they thought you were good, you yeah. know what I mean? So I just assumed that I wasn't that good, you know. So I got to the Giants. I made the catch, and uh, I came back. Parcells says, "Great catch, you know, great catch, Mark. Great catch." And I was like, "Wow, you know, thank you." That's Nice compliment. Thinking to myself, of course, I didn't say anything. And then he's, he gives me a little pat on the butt, you know, and says, and you know what, kid? I was looking at him, you know, waiting for, I didn't think it was a rhetorical question. I was waiting for the answer. And he goes, you look good doing it, too. And I just went, fuck me. I go, that, I'm going to, I'm going to play for this guy for the rest of my life if he lets me. I'm going to do whatever he says. I love this guy. Mark. And that's what happened. And I never said anything to him, really. And he never, we never really spoke again. You know, right. I just did what he wanted me to do. Yeah. He knew that I was, I was doing it and that I would do it. Even though I had a few hiccups along right. the way, he always gave me the benefit of the doubt. And we had a great relationship and we had a lot of good success together. Mark, that was one of the keys to Parcells that we all know. He was a master psychologist. And he 
you know, Mark, like you just said, you come out of Notre Dame and Jerry Falso, in my opinion, I know you liked him, but I never liked him at Notre Dame. I thought he was, was going to say, my, Mark, my dad would have blamed Faust for all that. Yeah, I, I basically blamed Faust for everything after Divine left and everything like that until Holtz got there. Okay, Mark, but that's that's my own personal issue. <laughs> but he was a master psychologist, Paul Sell. So, you know, he he would look at a guy like yourself and probably maybe felt that maybe you didn't feel maybe you belonged at the time or you were down on yourself personality-wise, whatever. And he sensed that, right, Mark, from plays. He knew when to pick them up. And he knew when to destroy them because we all know Parcells could be vicious. You know, we all know that. Like Sims, they would have battles because he knew Sims could take it. They'd fight back. He sees you coming out of Notre Dame, and it seems like, Mark, tell me if I'm wrong, but he sees a kid that, all right, this kid's got to get a little confidence going here, and he built that up with you. Am I wrong with that, Mark? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I do think that he sensed I had a little, uh, you know, beaten dog right. syndrome in me, which, which a lot of us did uh, coming out of that, those years at Notre Dame. We were just, you know, we, we were expected to be so good at Notre Dame, and we just, we were, we were good. We had yeah, a lot of talent, Buck. A ton of talent in those teams. Yeah, yeah. We could never get, we could never get past 500. I mean, 500 was our best. And um, I mean, just the, the abuse that you would get from the fans, from the students, and then from inevitably from the coaches, I mean, we were just a, a miserable group of football players. It made us stick together more because it really was us against everybody else. Uh, not, not, the, not just the students and the fans, it was us against right. the coaches too. So, I mean, you know, we had this sense that, you know, we thought we were good. We knew each other, we, each other were good. But you never really got um, that, um, I don't know, what's the word, the affirmation from the people who were supposed to give yeah, it to right. you. You, know, you, never, you never experienced that. And I never experienced it until uh, I saw uh, Parcells. The, the, one, the one time I did experience it at Notre Dame was um, Roger Valdesari was the sports information director. Okay. And he called me. Uh, up my senior year, after my senior year uh, of football, I don't know when it was, maybe during the season, cl close to the end. And he told me that, he goes, hey, you made the uh, All-American, uh, you made the AP right. All-American team. <laughs> and I was like, I was holding the phone going, what? <laughs> I go, me? I go, I'm not even, uh, you know, I was the only one who made it on right. the team. You know, and I was probably the, 30th in line to be considered, I think, one of the top players on the team. I was like, Roger, are you, are you are Mr. Valisari, are you, are you sure you've got, <laughs> got the right guy? I mean, who, what are these people looking at? Did nobody else play tight end this year in college football? And he was like, no, he goes, you know, you're good. You know, you're yeah, good. Yeah. And um, I remember we played, um, we played SMU, I think, in the Hula Bowl that year and we were all getting off the plane and the hula girls and the photographers so all came to me they made a point everybody got the lay put the lay on but they made a point of making a little special uh ceremony putting the lay on me taking pictures and in the paper that day it was you know mark Bavaro and the notre dame squad uh touchdown in hawaii for the hula bowl aloha bowl and I was like, 
I go, what, what is going on here? I go, I, I thought I was living in like the twilight zone. <laughs> but, you know, that, that just shows you, you know, those, those days it was, it was Alan Pinkett was the star. Excellent. Steve Berline was the star. You know, Mike Golick was the star. Yep. Uh, you had Larry Williams. And they were all, and they were good. good. They were all good. But I was never one of those guys, you know. At least I never got that sense from anybody in authority there. Oh, that that's just so I, I think he I think it it, it uh, helped me a lot to keep my mouth shut and just do my right. work and when I got to the Giants I mean I didn't think of myself as a as a you know big time player I was just there hoping to make the squad you know get keep right. you know keep out of trouble do what I'm supposed to do and so I think he saw that but I think that, you know you I think you're right about that Chris that you know that can also be um, close to uh, being not confident in yourself too. And I think he, he knew how to, he, he knew how to keep me, you know, above that no confidence line, but below the big head prima donna right. line. So, and he did that with, with a lot right. of guys. And I like take like Leonard Marshall. I mean, he was constantly grading him, you know, just constantly on his back. Because that's what motivated Leonard Marshall. The more you, the more crap you gave Leonard Marshall, right. the better he played. You know, and he was all over it. Me he never said he really never said a word. Mark, it's funny you say that because you know, I, I tell Jerry this a lot. I was at, you know, when Lawrence got drafted in 81, I was at the first training camp for, for him. I mean, and Ray Perkins, I mean, they were all they were all over Lawrence Taylor. You know, they were call, you know, they were saying you, you you they had him on special teams. They were telling him what kind of draft pick did we just take? This is what they were doing to him. And then later on, we all know what Paul Sells, when he took over in 83, how Paul Sells used to ride him to no end. You know? um, so you, I remember you, Mark, seeing you in camp, and you always by yourself quiet. And I remember me and my dad were like, you were a rookie at the time in 85. I remember me and my dad even saying, like, why isn't Paul Sells destroying this kid? Because he used to destroy rookie. Carl Banks in 84, before you got there, he rode Carl to no end, to no end. You know? Um but he had that thing that getting back to the psycho psychology of Parcells, he knew how to play guys, and obviously you were one of the prime examples, bro. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been the player I was uh, without Parcells. I think I might have made another team somewhere, and I think I would have been a journeyman type of uh, tight end. But I never would have uh, believed in myself enough to do the things I did. Uh, at the Giants. Yeah, that, that speaks volumes uh, of, of uh, what you think of Parcells and the job he did. Um, Mark, in 85, when, when, when you get there and you're going up against Banks, you're gonna, I'm sure, sure you were lined up against Taylor. How quickly did you realize, well, I, I can play in this league. I can play with these, you know, pro bowl, all pro type of linebackers. How fast was that process? I'm not sure that ever really happened, but uh, there was one time I remember thinking, um, I think I might have been accepted by those yeah. guys. And that was, um, it was, I don't know when it was during camp, but I, it, it was a drill. Uh, I caught a, a little ball over the middle, no, no big deal. It wasn't anything. And it was kind of like a thud, you know, you really weren't supposed to hit, get hit or tackle. And, um, I just caught it. I wasn't really paying attention. I was just going through the motions because I knew it was not really fully live. I, I, I caught the ball as I turned up field 
Lawrence Taylor knocked my head off. Right. <laughs> and I was, I was yeah. pissed because I was like, Hey, this, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this. And uh, I got up and I threw the ball at his head. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, in football, that's yeah. just like, you know, slapping somebody with the, uh, with the glove. You <laughs> Close know, the face. The <laughs> uh, and I went, and I just did it out of instinct. And um, I was like, oh, shit, okay. You know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I mean, here we go. We're going to have to get to back that one up. And um, he just kind of smirked, you know, gave me a little giggle and hmm. turned around and went back to, you know, to his yeah. guys. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, I, I think he likes me, <laughs> you know. That's great. And I, and I think the right, you know, and that, I think that followed from him. It followed down to everybody else, you know, and, and uh, we did. We, I mean, we all we loved each other. We all we really did. Uh, as much as we went against each other every day, you know, all those guys: Byron Hunt, uh, Andy yeah. Hedden, Gary Reasons, Harry Carson, you know, Leonard Marshall. Um, I never really had to hit Jim Burke, but you know, same thing there. But we, Curtis McGriff, you know, all those guys. You know, we there really was a love for for our, each other, and in that again, was something I hadn't experienced right. uh, ever before, right. you know, on a, on a team. Uh, folks, you're listening to the Giant Insider Podcast with special guests, two-time Super Bowl champion and two-time All-Pro, which I always talk about is way more important than Pro Bowl. All-Pro that it's all about and Mark Bavaro. And Mark, let's get into the 86 season. Obviously, you know, the team comes off that tough loss in 85 to the Bears. Um. 86 training camp, you sense this is it, Mark? This is the year, this is out. This obviously you go your jaw and play continue to play on with a broken jaw, which was remarkable by itself. But Mark, was that the feeling in the building from the get-go? Hey, this is our year, this is our thing. Yeah, yeah. Um and even despite the fact that we got we lost to the Cowboys in the first game. I mean, that was, that was a heartbreaking loss and uh, it took a lot out of us too. I mean, that was a tough game. It was, it was really hot and humid that night in Dallas. And uh, I mean, we came back, we were hurting, we were really hurting. And then to throw, throw the loss on top of that, um, you would think that that might throw some teams off their stride, but I don't, I don't think anybody ever doubted that we were going to go to the Super Bowl and win it um, that year. The only the only thing that I think that we ever worried about was having to play the Bears again, um, and we we never had to do it, you know. And even then, uh, we would they would have had to come to us most likely because we were just so good that year. Um, in the Giant Stadium, I think we would have handled them no problem. Um, but you know, playing the Bears back then with that defense in in the in the Bears Stadium, um, Soldier Field, that was a that was a tough task, but. If you go back and you watch that 85 game, you know, we did pretty good. You know, we really, we really should have beat them. Um, that first drive, we fumbled, we were moving the ball, you know, then Sean Landetta's kick, uh, not, nothing against Sean, but, you know, that, and we, we, we were, we could have tied the game up before the half. Uh, we didn't do it. So we were in the game. Um, so I think we would have handled them no problem in 86, but we never really had to do it. Uh, our biggest obstacle was having to beat the Redskins three times. I think some guys had some qualms about that. You know, can you can you beat a, a quality team like that three times in one year? You know, what are the odds? 
uh, just that alone, just the odds factor alone, uh, put put a little doubt in our minds. But um, other than that, I don't, I don't think we ever doubted where we were going or where we were going to end up. You know, you look back at 86 and you had so many, so many memorable plays and uh, everyone always points to um, really the, the two that, that kind of stand out, getting your teeth knocked out in, in New Orleans, against New Orleans, drinking your, what, your food, your food through a straw for a few weeks. Uh, and obviously the, uh, the Monday night 49er game. And I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over the Saints game at all. Cause I mean, talk about tough and continuing to play and, uh, but the 49er game, I mean, that, that one play was, that was, that told giant fans who had suffered since 56, you know what, this is our year. I, I mean, that's, that's like, there's Martin's play, but you're that play, you're down 17, nothing. You catch the ball, carry, I don't know, seven 49ers on, on your back. You know, did, did you feel it after that play is over? Like, wow, this, you know, this is it. Like we can take, the, you know, we could take these guys. You took them in the playoffs, but you know, did that, did that just, I guess, solidify or, or represent everything that that team was that year? Yeah. And just to make a note, you know, New Orleans, my, I never, my teeth never got knocked out. Just my jaw was. See that when Giants Among Men said your two teeth were knocked out in that game. That's what they, that's what they, yeah, they told people that. So they would downplay the fact that my jaw All was right. wired shut weeks. You know, so it was kind of like a little misinformation, but, um, um, the, the, the San Francisco game, even after that play, I mean, I didn't score. We were still down 17 right. to nothing. Uh, so in my mind, it was like, it was just a play. And to me, the whole time it happened, I was just thinking, wow, these guys do not know how to tackle. <laughs> because no one, no one was wrapping me up. No one was holding on. No one was trying to grab my legs. They're all just kind of, you know, Ronnie Lott was just kind of holding on to the back of my waist. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. And everyone else was just kind of like giving me a shoulder in, you know, no wrap up, no arms, no nothing. And, uh, I was like, you know, this is horrible. And they had the reputation too of not being a very physical team, a very physical defense, anyways, because the whole reputation was they didn't hit during the week. Meanwhile, you know, we're we're killing each other during the week, and we think that we're big, bad, and tough, right? Not realizing we're destroying ourselves. Uh, so they had the right idea the whole time, but um, it did give us a sense that we were physically dominant. Um, if we just outscore them, uh, and if we just hung in there and didn't give up, uh, I, I, there was no, no reason to think that we couldn't beat the 49ers. And I think that's more than anything. I think that's all the play did was just, it made everyone say, Hey, you know, this game's not over. You know I mean? Let's, let's just not, let's not give up. Let's, let's go out and, and, and do our best because these guys are a bunch of pussies. You know, we just, if we just play football, we'll be fine. And I think that's all it really did. I scored the whole game, you know. In fact, I almost blew the game later on in the game. I, I caught a ball down near the five-yard line uh, going in for a score, and I no one fumbled. remembers that, but like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I gave the ball away, you know. So, I mean, I almost blew the game. But no, yeah, no one remembers yeah. that one. So, I think that's all that play did was just make everybody, you know, wake up. You know, I think we were kind of sleepwalking through the night, yeah. and uh, people wake up and say, hey, you know, we just put a little effort on in here, you know, we can roll over these guys. These guys aren't that good. That's all. Hey, Mark, 
you know, you had a little rivalry, even on, even though they won a division team, obviously. But you guys saw each other in the playoffs. You and the 49ers. What did you What did you think about them? I mean, look, Bill Walsh was the one who started no hitting Fridays and whatever the hell he was doing walk through Fridays, whatever the hell he started on. And like you said, they were like no the finesse guys. Even though they had some guys that could, you know, Ronnie Lott, obviously we all know about. You know, they had some guys that could bring, you know, but they always had that rep. You know, so how did you feel about them, uh, Mark? Did you not like them? They had a sense of arrogance about them. You know, I remember, you know, back in the, they won the Super Bowl before, you know, 84. And they always had that little bit, that Bill Walsh elite kind of persona about them. Is that the way you felt? Yeah, that's the way I think all of us felt. You know, we felt like we were playing football and they were playing seven on seven. Um, I know that the, a, a lot of the defensive guys thought their offense was dirty. Really? I think they... With yeah, with something like some cut blocks and clips and things like that, and, um, and from an offensive standpoint, we just, you know, we just didn't think that they were a very physical. Definitely, they weren't a physically intimidating uh, defense. But like I said, the only one who really had to keep your eye open for it was Ronnie Lott. Um, right. But you know, one guy, you know, can't can't do it all. Uh, well, yeah, we just we didn't have a whole lot of respect for them as far as being a football team. We we had a lot of respect for them talent-wise, but not right. from a you know a you know man-to-man type of thing. We we just thought that they were a le- lesser physically than us and and the NFC East and, and as a whole you know, back then. Yeah, as far as '86 right. goes, there, I mean, there's so many memories for you. Obviously, the Super Bowl, the championship game. You know, I asked this question. We asked this question because we get kind of the same answer from a lot of the guys we've interviewed, a lot of the former Giants. What did you enjoy the most in those playoffs? What, what do you mean? From, uh, I mean, uh, everybody points to that championship game, that, that, that play, right? They, they look at that um, and they're like, yeah, the Super Bowl was great, but the championship game, seeing all those Giant fans celebrate and kind of understanding how much those fans suffered. I, I didn't, I, did you, do you look at it the same way that they do? No, I don't think so. We, we, you know, we were always looking to the, to the next game, you know, the next game. I don't think, uh, you know, we, we really, there were, look, there were images of Jim Burke, you know, grabbing his son and, and going up in the stands and doing all that. So, I mean, there were, there were guys enjoying the moment for sure. But for the most part, you know, Parcells didn't really allow us yeah. to do that. You know, he was, he was more, um, he, he, he really was the Belichick of, of yesteryear, you know. Uh, the, the, a win's a win, put it behind you. And all we're thinking about is, is our next opponent. And that's really, that's really where Belichick gets it from anyway. Uh, and that's how we were. We weren't allowed to celebrate or to, to enjoy ourselves at all. In fact, if, if he saw us doing it too much, he, he would come down on us and uh, he'd make it miserable for everybody. The one, the one thing about Parcells is, you know, he's, he's a bit of a manic uh, depressive, I, I think, uh, himself. So, I mean, he was always on guard for not overdoing things, you know, on a positive, in a positive way. You, you, you could always overdo things on a, on a negative way. In fact, I think a lot of the, a lot of the negative reinforcement uh, really helped us, you know, because it, it did keep us from, especially in New York, you know, I mean, you take some of these other guys who don't have, didn't have the discipline uh, in the in the temperament that that we did as a team, uh, they would have run loose in New York. You know, I mean, 
Long's tail notwithstanding, I mean, most of us did not take advantage of of where we were living. And that's a testament to Bill Parcells and the types of personalities that he collected, not, not just talent. He wasn't looking at talent uh, solely. He was looking at talent combined with the personality. And if the, and if the ta- he didn't care how talented you were, if you didn't have the right personality for his system, he wouldn't touch mm-hmm. it with a 10-foot pole. Mark, did it, did it ever bother anybody that Lawrence got a little, you know, preferential treatment once in a while? Let's just say once in a while he might show up a little late, maybe not exactly 100%, you know, <laughs> you know, Lawrence being Lawrence. And, you know, when Paul Sell, look, we all know Paul Sell's famous. I mean, his famous thing with Belichick was, you know, talking to Paul Sell's about you know, Lawrence was late to the meeting again. And Paul Sell turns around and goes, well, you should have started a meeting when he got there. You know, things like that. You know, and Belichick would just laugh, you know, tell him the story. But was there anything more about, like, oh, you know, you know, what's up here? We're all doing this, and, you know, Lawrence comes strolling in, you know, off the golf course. Oh, he's got the golf clubs in his hands and whatever it might be. Well, I'm sure that there were some guys, you know, or some moments that guys were saying, hey, you know, is is all this stuff worth it, With you know, that comes along with Lawrence? Uh, but the answer to that question was a resounding yes. It's it's worth it. it's worth it because Lawrence Taylor uh, was not a jerk, you know. Lawrence Taylor was not a prima donna. Um, he was not self-centered. He did not uh, elevate himself above the rest of the team. Uh, the things that he did. Maybe you know, sleeping through meetings or missing meetings or doing that. He just did it because that's the way he was. If he was half the player he was, that's how he would have behaved. He didn't behave the way he did because he was so good. You know, that's the difference between him and and other great players. He had no sense of privilege uh, that he was allowed to behave differently than the rest of us. Um, he just behaved like Lawrence Taylor, like he was. And we all accepted it because it was never a disruption. It was never a disruption for us as players in practice. It might have been for coaches, but it was. we never saw it as being a, a disruption. Certainly never saw it as being a disruption on Sundays. Um, you know, nobody, no, nobody cared. I mean, maybe perhaps we should have cared a little bit more of what was going on off the field with him. But I honestly don't think that anybody could have told, you know, told him anything back then. That's just the, the way he was. And I mean, we're just, we were just glad that he came home back to the stadium safely every, every morning. But no one ever, no one ever like whispered to one another, you know, what an asshole this guy is. Who does he think he is? It was always like, uh, you know what? This guy is the greatest football player, maybe in the history of the game, certainly the best football player I ever saw. The, the, the stuff that he brings to the defense, you, you can't even, you know, you can't count it, but the thing, like I told you earlier, the things he brought to us as an offense, 
uh, you know, with him and the along with the rest of the defense, the, their reputation. I mean, made us such a better offense. You know, um, nobody nobody ever thought Lawrence Taylor was a problem. In fact, I didn't even know he had a drug problem until uh, he went to rehab. I think it was after. I don't know what year. It was even my rookie year or my Great second time, year. I think. He was the sick, yeah. yeah. I read in the paper. He he was checked himself into rehab. And I was like, Lawrence Taylor does drugs? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, 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 it just shows you that whatever he was doing, it didn't, it didn't spill over into the locker room. And it certainly didn't spill over to his teammates. He was, he was, he was, he might've been the best teammate I've, I've ever had. Yeah, that, again, that gets glossed I, over. I never really talked to him either. That gets glossed over, right? Like everyone looks back at his career and says he's the greatest defensive player of all time. But the competitiveness and, and every, yep. you know, you, you echo what every other player that we've interviewed says. He was such a good teammate. He was he was the guy. He was a great teammate. He would compliment you. He would make, he'd give you stuff. I mean, he found out, like I was chewing tobacco one, one day as a, a rookie. And uh, he said, hey, what, what are you chewing? I told him and. Next day, I saw, you know, there's there this huge tube of these uh, tobacco tins in my locker. And he just gave it to me just, just because. I, he, he didn't even know me, really. You know, this is like the first week in the, in the stadium. And, uh, you know, the superstars don't do that for, for the low-level guys. You know what I mean? Uh, and he was like that with, with everybody. He, he was like that with, with top guys. He was like that with, with the bottom, you know, the lowest guys. Uh, and that's and he set the tone for the rest of the team because if the greatest football player in football wasn't acting like a, a superstar, then it gave it gave no one the right to to think of themselves uh, above the rest. And we that's the type of, of of team we had. That was the type of guys we had. And of course, you know, you always had Parcells on top, making sure nobody playing whack a mole. You know, making sure nobody's head rose above the the front. as soon as it did, he pounded down. Um, but it was just, it was just a great environment. It really was to be, a, to play football. It was a great environment. Mark, the, the 90 Super Bowl team, you know, 86, you guys, after the fifth, sixth game, you guys rolled right through the Super Bowl. We all know that. Dominant team. But 90, even though you start off 10-0, you do lose in, right? Now you have to go with Haas. How much did Paul Fells change what he had to do when Hostel had to step in? And Mark, I hate to compare, but is that was that ninety team even tougher than the eighty sixteen? You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to you know make the comparisons because um, it was such different teams. You know, especially the offense. We were such different uh, offense, uh, and even the defense was so different. You know, they, they, everybody was a little older. Everyone was a little uh, you know injured and and beat up and. We weren't, uh, you know, we weren't young pups anymore. And um, so we did things in a different way. But I would say that the 86 team was a team of destiny. The 90 team earned, you know, everything that they got. And I'm not sure that the 86 team would necessarily beat the 90 wow. team. I, I really don't wait, because... Wait. We're all older, smarter versions of our younger selves, and I, I think we would have we would have um, taken advantage of a lot of uh, that '86 enthusiasm. 
So, Mark, if we have a so Mark, if we have a video game in front of us right now, we put the ninety team against the eighty six team. You feel the ninety team could beat them? Would have knocked them off? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm just saying I think everyone assumes <laughs> yeah. the eighty six team is better, and it's that's not even close. It's not not true. No. Interesting. Yep. So, not to bring it up, but in in ninety, start off ten and zero. The first game you lose is to that team that played at the vet. Um, of all the of all the teams in the division, Mark, did you feel more negatively? Uh, did you feel more negative against one of them, or is that did you just look at all like you know they're my opponents? I'm a professional. This is what it is. No, the Eagles. We we hated them with a passion, you know, and they and it, the feeling was mutual. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with Buddy Ryan, uh, but there was definitely bad blood. There was so much bad blood there that a few years later, when I was offered the opportunity to go there for like more money than I had ever made, I my initial reaction was no effing way, not going there, no way. And it took me a while. It took me a while to convince myself to do it. That's how much hatred you had to. Yes, and world. when I got there, no, you know, no one, um, no one spoke to me for like not not the old guys. None of the old guys would speak to me. Probably like a good, uh, you know, couple months. You know, it wasn't until I started we started playing and you know, and I was doing decent. You know, that they they came around and said, hey, okay, I welcome to the team. You know, one of those type of deals, but. Mark, a lot of people in today's game, you know, whatever sport it might be, they talk about, oh, yeah, well, we can't stand that team, but they're all full of crap. There's not, there's none of that really goes on today where they actually have a genuine hatred towards them. But can you honestly say, Mark, that you guys basically had a genuine hatred towards the Eagles? And did you, was it, was it true to the rumors about guys like Andre Waters and guys like that purposely looking to hit your knees, in particular you? Going after your knees and throwing cheap shots. Yeah. Well, into I mean, it seemed like that. I mean, I don't know for a fact that that's what they were actually doing. But I mean, when someone tells you, um, when someone sticks their helmet in your knee, right? And when you get up and they go, oh, shit, I thought a guy, he goes, we know what knee you had surgery on. He goes, we're going to get you before Unreal. the day is up. When you, hear, when you hear things like that, you think, well, maybe they have a, a, an agenda going on. <laughs> Unbelievable. But uh, yeah, they were. It all stemmed from Buddy Ryan. I just, I, I saw um, his sons, uh, Rob, I think it was Rob, <clears throat> and uh, I told him, because Rob's a great guy, and they're, they're great, they're great guys, you know, they're, they're a lot of fun, and they're, they're good people. But I said, look, I, 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 I actually hated your father, I really, I really hated him, and I don't really hate people, but he was one of the guys I really, I hated him, I hated the guy. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like I said, we've, we had Guy Reasons last week, and I asked him, did you hate a team? He goes, no, 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 you never hate a team. And I thought, oh, all right, well, I want to see what, I, what, what you would have to say about that. So um, of all the teams that you played on with the Giants, Mark, was there, was there one that got away from you? Did you feel like, you know what, that year we probably could have or should have won the Super Bowl? Well, the 89 team, I was hurt. So, you know, that probably was our best uh, bet. The 88 team, mm. we played the Jets in the playoffs at the end of the, the last game of the season yeah. to get into the playoffs, yep. and we lost. Um, 
I think we could have we could have made some hay with that team because uh, we were pretty good. We a lot people a lot of people were hurt, but we were still our, our core was still there, and uh, we would have had to go to Minnesota and and play them in, in the dome. That would have been hard. But I think if we got past that, we would have probably been on our way. But um, real, real quick, do you think the Niners bagged it that Monday night when they played the Rams? Because if they okay, because if they won, you would got in. Oh, on purpose? I, I don't know. Okay, because that, that was a rumor going around. I didn't know what you guys thought about that. That's all. Okay. I never know. I never even heard that. Okay. Mark, what what do you want to be known for the most? Did you let's put it this way? Did you take great pride in being known as one tough dude? Yeah, I mean, I I I think I, I did take, take pride in that, um, and I just wanted would like to be uh, a, a good teammate you know a good teammate uh, a good player you know an unselfish player um, you know and you know I would like I would like to see more guys today you know be less self-centered and more team centered um, you know, who knows? I'm not in there now. Maybe they are. You know, maybe it just appears that way on TV. But um, you know, I played on other teams. I played places. I mean, there, there was nothing like those giant teams. They that, like I said, the environment that Bill Parcells created, with the talent and with the personalities, uh, you might never see again. You know, especially in the free agency era. You know, because they had us all captive. You know, he could keep us as long as he wanted, or get rid of us whenever he wanted. I'm just happy to be part of, of, Mark, of that group. Thanks. Mark, what was, who was some of the guys you played against that were like you? I mean, just that quiet or, or just that tough guy that you had to go against 60 minutes and you were like, well, this is going to be a battle from, from the first, you know, from the first um, point on. Reggie White, obviously. He was probably the hardest guy I ever had to go against. Thank God I didn't have to go against him on a regular basis. You know, he would make his way out to the end of the line every once in a while. And I had to deal with him, but he would go everywhere. So everybody had to deal with him. He was everybody's nightmare, not just mine. Uh, Andre Tippett. Right. Uh, yeah. He was, he was a stud. I put him right up there with Lawrence Taylor and Kyle Banks uh, as the three top best linebackers I ever saw. Um, again, thank God I only had to play him, I think twice in my whole career, maybe three times, but nothing on a regular basis. Um, Seth Joyner for the Eagles was good. L listen, they were all good. Monty Coleman was a nightmare uh, for the Redskins. Uh, he was, he was a, he was an unbelievable cover guy. I, I really had a hard time getting open against him. If you wanted your man to man, he, he pretty much shut you down. Um, I mean, there were there were so many good players. You know, it's, it's hard to to distinguish and say. But th those were the you know guys like the, the defensive backs like Ronnie Lott. They, they obviously would go, but like I never had to really go up against them on the line of scrimmage. That's where I, I judge all my, my uh, comparisons from the guys who stood toe to toe with me, which would be the outside linebackers and, right. and, and a lot of the defensive ends. Um, and the other guys were just, you know, there in passing routes or, or whatever. But Lonnie Young for the, um, for the Cardinals, I, I thought he was even, I always, I thought he was a little better than Ronnie Lott. I think it's just because I played him twice a year. You know, I was, 
he was more familiar with me. And um, I don't know. I mean, there, there were a lot of good players, but those three, you know, Reggie White, uh, Andre Tippett, and you guys got guys like Seth Joyner. But my the toughest guys were always uh, Kyle Banks and Lawrence Taylor, mm, nice. Hedden and Byron Hunt. You know, those are the guys. I struggled with more than than anybody else in the league, you know. Yeah, and they and they obviously made you better too, going against them every day. Yeah, Sundays were easy. I always tell I always tell them, Sundays were were easy. They were the easiest easiest day of the week for me as far as challenges went. Awesome, Mark. Ninety one, you miss. You had the knee issues. You don't play in ninety one, and then Belichick gives you a call. How how did that come about? Um, did, were you thinking about coming back in a game, or did Belichick's call get you? Thinking yeah, I, about I mean, back? I didn't think I was done. The Giants thought I was done. You know, I I said, let me let me uh, hang around and rehab for the year. They were like, no, we don't think you should play football anymore uh, for your own good. Uh, I was like, well, you know, that should be a decision I make. But um, I certainly didn't think I was uh, done. In fact, Ray Hanley asked me if I wanted to coach. Because uh, he had Howard Cross, you know Howard was still young, and he thought I'd be I'd be good to to be hanging out with them, uh, much like Don Hasselback did for me my rookie year. Yeah. Um, and I said, sure, I'd love to I'd love to come back, coach, as long as you know you give me the opportunity to rehab and come back uh, the following year when the doctors give me the okay. And uh, they said, oh no 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 no, that's not what we mean. So Belichick, when he took the Cleveland job. I saw him in passing, and uh, he said, hey, listen, if you ever think you can play again, give me a call. And that's how it happened. I, some, somewhere during the Thanksgiving of the of following season when I was sitting out from football, I had, I had an incident where I thought that I could still play, and I gave him a call, and he, was, he said, okay, you know, come this, come this spring, you know, we'll bring you out for a tryout, and that's how it happened. Mark, my last question before we, we do the, the final segment that we have. Aside from Parcells and Belichick, is there any other coach that you had where you looked at and said, maybe he's not as, as well known in history, um, but you said, man, that guy, what a, what a hell of a coach that guy was. It could be with the Giants, Notre Dame, wherever. I have my uh, top four coaches of all time, uh, Parcells, Belichick, uh, then there's a guy that I got to know, a high school coach around here named Bill Maraday. He, he just retired. He was, a, he was a legendary coach here. I got to do some work for him. Uh, the year I sat out, he actually asked me to come and help out with the team, which I did. Yep. And, and, I, and I struck up a relationship with him and I followed him through the years. And he, he's one of the guys that, he's a guy like I wish I had had the opportunity to play for. I mean, he was, he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen at any level. And then my fourth, uh, my fourth best coach ever is my Pop Warner coach, Mickey Womet, who I just saw at a funeral. Uh, we were rehashing old times, and because uh, he's really the one who instilled uh, my love of football, uh, and he, he's actually the one who made me a tight end. Awesome. You know, from day one, he said, "You said you're going to play a tight end." And I was like, "What's what's a tight end?" You know, I had no idea. And uh, so he, he, he set me on the path to tight end because who, you know, who knows if I ever would have found that position. In high school, I was the biggest guy on my team, you know, and right. they usually put the biggest guy on the team at, at left tackle, right? So I might have been stuck there, but I had, had always been a tight end, and they always knew me as a tight end, so they kept me a tight end. <clears throat> so, I mean, I credit 
my tight end success uh, to Mickey Wimet, my Pop Warner coach. Nice. Mark, what made you write a book? You wrote the book in 2008, I believe. Um, what made you think about that? Or, you know, what, when did you stop thinking about uh, I, this stuff? I, I always like to write. You know, I used I used to like to write, and uh, it was just good. You know, obviously, I wasn't um, that outspoken, and I I like to be alone. And uh, it was it was the perfect. I had the perfect personality to write. And I always admired um, Peter Gent's uh, book, North Dallas 40. I loved the book. I loved the movie. Um, and I always thought that's what the NFL was going to be like. And it turned out to be like, for me, it was nothing nothing like that. You know, just a lot of hard work and pain. Uh, there was no partying. Um, but I love the fact that this guy was a player and he wrote a book uh, that everyone loved. And uh, I said, that, you know, if I ever get the chance to do that, I, I want to I try to do it. Uh, and I did, you know, the, when I left football, I had a lot of free time on my hands. And uh, that's that's what I like to fill the time up with. I, I just started writing. Uh, it wasn't that good. I mean, it was okay, but uh, I was just, uh, I was glad to do it. I was proud of it. And uh, just something I can say I did. That's awesome. And now I have to ask you about a section of the book. The tight end who runs over the guy at the goal line. <laughs> Is that Andre Waters you had in mind there? Yeah, it could have been. I could have. I forget. You know what? I I forget a lot of that book. I that was it was a long time ago. But I do kind of remember. I don't think there was any one player in mind that I was thinking about. But yeah, probably. Yeah, it probably was Andre Waters. Interestingly enough, I became good friends with. I'm not good friends, but I we became uh, friends um, on the Eagles, and we you know we had a lot of good conversations. We got along pretty well. He was he was a decent guy, good guy, and. uh, you know, I won't say we were real good friends, but we ended up being cordial to one another, and uh, that was a big step for me. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. imagine what it was like going up against him and Hopkins. Oh my God, that must have that must have been tough. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, Mark, we like to uh, finish up with a segment uh, word association. We'll throw a few names at you and just bring it, give us the first word that comes to mind. Is that cool? Yep. All right, uh, Chris, go ahead. You go first. Phil great Sims. leader, great quarterback, cool, under pressure, uh, accurate thrower, hard, hard, hard thrower. Everyone talks about the Elway cross and all that. Phil Sims, if he was, if you know, he had to check himself a lot to make sure he took stuff off the ball. Otherwise, you know, we we would have trouble catching it. There were a few times you'd have to say, "Hey, Phil, you gotta you gotta cool it." You know, I mean. It's, it's only ten yards between us. You can't be smoking it in there. I can't catch. I can't catch balls like that. So, uh, I mean, he had the arm strength. It was amazing. Parcells. Uh just you know, I don't know. The closest thing. I, I the closest thing to God. I you know. I you could put in my life. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Without being you know blasphemous. Sure. Yep. Uh, Reggie White. Best. You know the best opponent. I mean, you can make the you can make the argument the best player ever. But you know, I I put Lawrence Taylor there, uh, but Reggie White is probably right there. Yeah. A lot of people might say better. Some people might say not. But if it's not, it's not by much. Right. Unbelievable and a great a great person. Great person. Uh, Giants fans. Oh, I love you know the Giant fans are great. They really took me in. 
Uh, I don't know why. I always think it was because there's so many Italians down there. Um, but I was so happy. I got to tell you, I was so happy when I um, when we were able to give them that first Super Bowl. You know, I, I didn't realize how, you know, the 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 streak that they went through. Yeah. Of nothingness and. Uh, until that happened. And to this day, I mean, people still remember that if they're old enough, they remember that 86 team more than anybody else, yep. more than the other three. Cold uh, Banks. Great friend. Um, you know, he was, to me, he was, you, you talk about like, um, you know, when you sharpen a knife, you know, what's that grindstone, whatever you sharpen that, that knife against. That's what he was to me. He was constantly sharpening my skills, constantly making me better. Uh, you know, whereas me and Lawrence, over time, we 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 fell into a brother-in-law type of situation. You know, we we would take care of each other, and it was mutually agreed upon, more so on my part. But you know, Carl Banks, nope. You know, Carl was always looking to get better, and by doing so, he made me better. Every day, he really sharpened me into the player that I was um, more than more than anything, really, more than in my own workouts, more than any other opponent. And he was also one of my, my best friends, too. I'll go one more, then Chris can finish up. Um, Phil McConkie. Uh, Phil McConkie. I don't. I don't have the words for Phil. Phil. Phil was like your your little brother, yeah. your your best friend. You know, he he took me places, did did things for me that I never would have done for myself. As far as um, off the field things, you know, he had the personality that I wished. I had, and uh, if it wasn't for him, I never would have left my house. Um, he just, we always, I always tease him. I say, you know, if if I had, if if he had, if he had had my career, he would be, or if I had had his personality, either one of us would have been uh, governor of New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he almost did. He almost did become the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He almost he almost pulled it off. Yeah. Last one, um, Mark Bavaro. Uh, old and decrepit and likes to play golf. I mean, that's it. You know, football is a is a is a million years ago for me. Uh, I, I'm starting to get. I'm starting to become an old man. You know, uh, the get off my lawn type of guy. When I look at the players today, you know, that's not the way we did it back in the day. You know, the older I get and the less that I can prove it the better I say I was as a player. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Mark. Before when you said you ran a seam route and Parcells got all excited, if we saw that now as Giant fans and we saw somebody run a seam route the way you did, I, I the whole stadium would give them a standing ovation. So it's something we haven't seen in a while run successfully. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, thanks. Mark, do you, Mark, do you follow the Giants closely now? I really don't. In, I don't, you don't. I'm up in the Boston area, so... You don't get them very often. You know, the Patriots really take over on the TV unless they get the national game. I, you know, I don't, you don't really get to see them. 
Uh, I don't know the players. I know um, the new tight um, uh, Evan Ingram. Yeah. Evan, yeah. Good player, but I mean, you know, we have nothing in common as far as tight ends go. The guy, the guy is a gazelle. He can, he runs like the wind. You know what I mean? I mean, we just play two different positions. I like when I hear them make the comparisons. I'm like, you know, this is this is not fair to him at all because uh, I was not, I was nowhere near the athlete this guy is. Um, and I know the quarterback a little bit of of the quarterback a little bit, but that's I don't think I know anybody else on the team. Mark, you're a Massachusetts guy. I'm a New York guy, but guess what? I'm a diehard Red Sox <laughs> fan. So tell me, please tell me, you are a. I am Red a Red Sox, Sox fan, and one of and one of my and one of my best friends here is Dennis Eckersley. The old each other, we play golf. Uh, you know, he's been a good a good addition for me because there's not I don't know any there's no old giants up here except Steve Diossi, and I don't really uh, see him that often. Um, so that I don't have like a professional uh, a- a- athlete friends, you know, uh, he's, he's the, the one that I have up here. Nice. Uh, and it's good. It's good to have because, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's had, he played 20 years. I mean, he had twice, three times the career I had. And um, it's just, and I idolized him growing up as a kid. So it's yeah. great to, to be able to hang out with him. It's, a, it's pretty cool for a Boston kid. Yeah, he was a. He was tough. Pitcher, Mark, you know? He was he tough. Was he was fiery. Between yes, Notre Dame, Boston, Red Sox, I can hang up now. Golf. I mean, I, I can just get off this call if you guys want me to. <laughs> so how was, was last what? season's golf game? Tell me. How's your golf game? The last season, obviously, nobody's out now, but how was your golf game last My golf year? game is um I'm a good 10. I'm a good 10. I can get down, I can get down oh. to maybe an eight or seven if I'm playing well but with that you know that only happens for a couple of weeks here and there and then i'm back up to a 10 maybe a 12 but i'm i'm a i'm a good solid 10 i think well i only aspire to be in your level speaking of golf i get to play with joe lacaver all the time uh tiger woods caddy oh do you big giants fan we were playing one time and we were we were on the same team and we had a he had a putt for a birdie and he asked he asked me for um he asked what I thought the putt was gonna do. <laughs> I was like, are you are you come on? I go, Joe, are you kidding me? I'm not gonna ask you how to run a scene, bro. Don't ask me how to read a putt. Nice. Mark, before we let you go, is there anything you want to uh, plug or talk about? Uh any any uh businesses? Oh, uh, well, businesses, I'm working with uh, Lawrence Taylor and Otis Anderson yeah. at uh, Tridelix. Yep. Um, it's a memorabilia type of, of a place. It's also, it's really an ex- exhibit company place, but in today's COVID stuff, the, the trade shows just aren't happening. So yeah. there were, he, he kind of um, are, are selling these uh, pieces of memorabilia. They're really cool. They're only yeah. like an eighth of an inch thick, but when you look at them, they look like six to eight inches deep. Yep. Uh, it's great for signage, for memorabilia things. They got license with the NFL, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Working with Otis and Lawrence and um, and this guy Bill Zamlo, who uh, runs the company. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Excellent. And I'm also working with uh, Phil McConkey at Academy Securities. They're they're a yep. disabled veteran broker dealer. Yep. So I do. I have all my licenses with them, and um, I do. I help them do stuff. Uh, 
uh, on Wall Street, and they do a great job with, with the veterans. They, they're giving them jobs, they're helping them set up careers and, and, and new lives after their service. Um, so I'm proud, I'm proud of that. I'm That's proud great. of that, and I'm very happy to be working with uh, my teammates, uh, Lawrence and Otis. Good stuff, man. Mark, for me, brother, it was an honor to have you on. You, lived your, you live your life with humility, you know, and there's the people that, like you and me, very admire that that's the way you should be living your life, and you are an example of it, my man. It was a pleasure to have you on, and um, I hope to catch up with you one day, you know, and, you know, and talk again, whatever it might be. Um, we'll admire you, brother, and you're not a guy that looks to be admired. That's the key to everything. That's probably the key why Giants fans love you. And right? Some guys from New York, when they found out that you were going to be on, Mark, they were beside themselves. Because you, believe it or not, you, besides Lawrence, obviously, you would have, you were that guy, man, because of the way you lived your life, your humility, everything about you, man. So it's a pleasure to have you on, Mark. I hope to catch up with you one day soon. you, brother. Thank Thank you. Excellent. Well, there you have it, Giant fans. Hope you enjoyed it. To order a subscription to The Giant Insider, go to www.thegiantinsider.com. Go to magster.com for a digital subscription, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, and download The Giant Insider app from the App Store. All right, guys, remember, Sundays are Giant Days. Take care, everybody.